Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, if you are new to the program, we're on every evening from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, coming to you from downtown Chicago, uh, in the Palmer House, as a matter of fact. Uh, and you can keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. So you might miss the live, uh, the live stream, you might miss the AM broadcast, but you can always go back to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast at, and you will find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks, I am really happy to uh, to be going into the segment that you're about to um, hear. I love talking movies with my friend Bubba Murray, and he is here with me. We have not uh, been able to get together for an episode of Movie Talk in a while, right? It's been a it's been, been a month. Long. Yes. Yeah, it has. So this is this is good stuff for me. So for those of you who don't know, I've already told you who I am. Uh, if you don't know who Bubba Murray is, he is an award winning writer, director hailing from Oak Park, Illinois. And his background includes receiving the ABC Writing Fellowship, uh, writing for Desperate Housewives, participating in the NBC Diversity Scene Showcase twice and being accepted into the Fox Writing Initiative. And most recently, well, actually, we've got something else to add on to that. I'm going to let him do that. Uh, but his short film, Robox, won the best children's film in the 2017 International Black Film Festival, and there was another uh, festival that you were in. Yes, uh, actually, I had a short film, a short horror film that hit a few festivals, including the Chicago Horror Festival, and it was called Awake. So uh, I was hitting both into the spectrum, children, movies, and horror films. So. The, the true renaissance man. <laughs> uh, but in addition, to, in addition to all his work uh, in film, uh, making happy stuff and scary stuff, he also serves as the uh, lead content and social media director for Burma Task Force. But we're not talking about that stuff. We're talking movies today. And the movie that we're looking at is one um, that you can find on Netflix. So we try to look at movies that you know are on your streaming platform. So if it's Netflix, Hulu, Crackle. Yeah, easy Amazon access. Prime. Easy yeah. access. Easy stuff. All right, so we're looking at The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. This is on Netflix, and it's based on a true story and the book of the same name. Uh, Malawi High School student William Kamkwamba, uh, uh, portrayed by Maxwell Simba, is forced to step up and help his father, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor, who many of you may remember from uh, uh, 12 Years a Slave, uh, the, the brother, what was it, the four brothers with Mark Wahlberg? Uh, and Doctor Strange. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Yeah, he's been in quite a few uh, films. Uh, but he's forced to step up and help his father after a drought ruins the annual harvest on their farm. And as his country descends into famine and civil unrest, William salvages parts and teaches himself engineering in order to build a windmill. So that's that's the synopsis. And so, yeah, we'll just jump off from there. Mm. 
you want to take the first stab at this or well i can i mean i can jump into it what yeah. i can say is i mean this now this was also directed by a uh, chiwetel yeah and i mean i thought he did a great job with this because uh he really focused on the imagery mm-hmm. and and also i think brought out a lot of the beauty of africa while being true to i'd say like the visuals like he showed a lot of uh, dry, desert, bleak land, but it was still filled with colors. He, there are these characters that were almost spiritual. I want to say that get coming through the piece, uh, almost like if you like a Shakespearean chorus. Uh, whenever, whenever things were getting dark for the village, these characters seemed they they were masked characters, and I'm. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And so, so I don't know uh, if that is cultural. Mm-hmm. Uh, what these, what these, I'll say, I'll call them players represented. But I thought it was very interesting how he used them to help guide the tone of the piece. So, so uh, they would, they were masked, they would sing, and it was very uh, again spiritual as mm-hmm. far as when these characters came in to help again move the narrative or move the story. Yeah, but. Uh, there were some very strong performances, obviously by Chiwetel, but I th- and I don't know if this was his first major role, but the character who played th- uh, the lead, Max um, Maxwell Simba. Maxwell Simba yeah. I mean the actor. Uh, he was he was great, Maxwell. Yeah, yeah, he, he did an awesome job. As well as, uh, and I don't want to mispronounce her name, but uh, the actress who played his mother, uh, I think it's Aisha Maja or Maiga. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna figure that out and get that right. Yeah. But I thought she did uh, the chemistry between mm-hmm. uh, her and uh, Chiwetel was was just absolutely uh, phenomenal. I mean, because there are so many different themes that were brought up in this film, and they were definitely, I think, centered around uh, they were centered around the relationship between, or they all emanated from the relationship between uh, Chiwetel and uh, Aisha, even though she was not. She didn't have as much. I don't know. I guess. I guess she, she didn't have as much screen time. Right. Right. But. But when she was, was on screen, po- yeah, it was really powerful. Uh, the scenes that you know that that she was in. Um, but just the. The the the, the, the tension, right? The, the the awareness, of it's kind of this impending doom. Right. right? And then, and I think yeah. Well, so I guess like the overarching. Uh, at least the doom or that ticking clock was that with the drought that this village was facing, mm-hmm. you had one faction of people who wanted to try and save the village, save the town. And that was, that was the father, Chiwetel, who, who, won, who finally had this land and was going to stay with that until he died. While there were other people who, who felt that it was too bleak and they felt they had to leave now before it was too late. Mm-hmm. And then they are in an area where the the government was very unstable. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, sidebar. We had a uh, Jeffrey from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, but uh, I'll, I'll let you talk about him. But <laughs> for Fresh Prince, but uh, yeah. but just to say that you had people who were trying to maintain the land, and then people who were trying to abandon the land before before it was too late. So. With that, you had characters. There weren't really any bad 
it wasn't like there were any evil characters. You had a lot of desperate characters. And that's when, you know, that made that tension really high. Mm -hmm. Do you stay? Do you go? Do I protect my family? Or do I have to worry about looters trying to get my food? Because these people were facing, again, starvation. And yeah. that was the main thing. The longer they stayed, the less they had to eat. They had to ration all their food. And since they're farmers, if they don't get this food now, they may not, you know, they may not eat for another year because they've got to get this the the crops to catch uh, to grow so you had all those external pressures and then the the young man deciding do i go to school or do i help my father so mm -hmm. uh, with that i thought um you had all the like you said you had a lot of different uh conflicts facing the characters because they were because it was a real story uh i th it was really relatable I could really, I, I could feel that anguish of, do you stand by your family or do you abandon them and go? Yeah. And you know what? When I think about themes, I have to look at the the overarching theme of, of all of this. You mentioned how Chiwetel was able to portray the beauty of Africa, by, but also while still being true to the uh, the, the scenario of, you know, the, the drought, right? Mm -hmm. um, by making the the plight of the people come through, you know, on the screen. Um, but that made me look at Africa, which is a, you know, you're talking about a huge continent, right? Uh, and and so many so many nations uh, that are there. But it, it made me, this story made me stop and consider the impact of education on, on daily life, on society, on stability, uh, the impact of education on government, right? This is a story about a young man who was so happy to go to school because it costs to go to school, right? So there's a commentary in that just in related to uh, public education in the industrialized world, right? Where we take public schools for granted, right? I mean, yeah. not even to yeah. talk about, I mean, it, of course, we're not, we're, we're not talking about culturally responsive or culturally relevant education, but just education in general. The fact that it's there for citizens in the United States. Right. Not many people. Yes. Like, right. Like you see, not everyone has access to that. And mm -hmm. so they are really struggling to to get that knowledge. Yeah. Or whatever they can. And then when they can, I mean, he was he was so happy to put on his uniform, to find his right. uniform, school uniform on his bed. And he was just beaming. You know, and when I looked at that, I, I realized that there is something that's missing uh, that's missing from the way we perceive education. And it probably is related to those other things I mentioned, culturally relevant, practical, pliable. Um, but in that instance, looking at him, <laughs> this is a young man who was so happy to go to school and and really and utilize his education for or his access right because you know he got kicked out so i guess we're giving some spoilers away if you haven't read the book or seen it so but he was he still used that access and just just to get more to his character yeah. this guy he was sort of he was a tinkerer he was he was very adept to science yeah. so that was the main part of the movie is that in this bleak time mm -hmm. he came up with an idea that he thought would help his village, and that was to irrigate the land. Now, what that also made me think of is that you had a guy who saw his idea was 
he could build a windmill, hence the name Harness the Wind, right. that could power a pump to take the water out to the land. That uh, Right, out of the will. Mm-hmm. But it also made me think about, again, irrigation, the access that people have. Because as you watch the movie, it, it was a very simple idea. Yeah. And they had the they had the materials to build a very simple well. But you, with a little aid or, or other countries, that wouldn't be that that's a, that would not be a second thought to be able to just probably plug a a windmill kit out there. Oh, sure. And it's just, and it's also the, the means that people have, and that's that's also what it made. That's just what it made me think about how, not only having access to education, but having access to resources, because these people didn't need to live like this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. If they, again, we see these type of, of setups, all over our country. Yeah. You know, they're making a business off of solar, or I mean, wind, wind power. Turbines, yep. And, they had to build it themselves, and then you're wondering why people don't you know service these communities mm-hmm. why are they ignored yeah. because not not that i would have access to it but if you are one of these these huge corporations that are looking to put your your winter riders sell them to a government or sell them to people they you know where the need is mm-hmm. but they actively choose to ignore it i think that's a really good segue into one of the other themes. And, and I think Chiwetel, he used different, um, he used different, I guess, metaphors throughout the film to speak to this ongoing uh, dialogue or conflict between older uh, customs or traditional views and uh, modernity and, you know, new inventions and industrialization. Uh, and I think a part of this kind of goes back to the presence of those those tribal figures, those those spiritual uh, figures that showed mm-hmm. up, you know, intermittently throughout the film. Uh, but also, it was represented in the relationship between the father uh, Chiwetel and his son uh, William uh, or, or Maxwell. This kind of resistance, you know, in a period of, of real duress, facing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, facing this drought, trying to figure out how you're going to feed your family. Uh, you don't, you, you don't want to leave. You know, you're committed to being there, and your son is telling you that he has an idea that will work. You sacrifice to make sure that he's able to go to school, but he's bringing you something that, you know, it's outside of your realm of compre- comprehension. You, you understand it. So it's this this battle between what I know and 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 fearing almost to right. say. Okay, you're my son, um, but you know what you're talking about doesn't make any sense. Right, it, it's yeah, it's that leap of faith that you're afraid to have in someone who doesn't have the experience that you do. Yeah, there there was a moment in that movie that also made me think of another movie, um, Fences. Yeah, uh, mm. where and, and this had to do with the dynamic between um, uh, Chiwetel and the wife um, Aisa Aisa. Mm-hmm. Uh, where she was lamenting the fact that she had stuck by his side and things just never worked out. Yeah. And, you know, he was getting a little defensive about it. But then she, she says, it's, it's not that I don't love you, I don't believe in you. It's just things don't work out. So what do we have to lose right. to try something new? 
and that made me think of that, I guess that almost now iconic scene with um, Viola Davis saying, I was right here beside you yeah. the whole, t- well, beside you too, yeah. while she's crying. Uh, but I, but I, I, I just like that parallel in the sense of you, even though the father was stuck in his, uh, in his ideas, he, he, he didn't want to be flexible. It wasn't because he didn't want to provide for his family or he didn't think highly of his son. It was that he felt so responsible for what was going on that he wanted to be the one to solve it. And I felt that he couldn't. And so there was an issue with him trying to give up the reins and not, it's not a spoiler or anything, but I just thought it was an interesting portrayal because a lot of times when you have these characters who don't want to give up something, it's usually for selfish reasons and, but negative self selfish reasons like they, like they're threatened and they don't want to see their children succeed. I felt with this character, it was less that he felt threatened by him, but he was more desperate in his own situation and was taking all the burdens on himself. So, so I found that just as far as a portrayal of, I'll just say a father from an older generation, and ho- he was still holding his son back, but he wasn't trying to do it in a malicious way. He was, in a sense, still trying to protect him mm-hmm. and make him see what was going on in the world. Uh, I think it was fear. I think it mm-hmm. was, I, I agree with you that, uh, I took his actions to be that he was trying to be the one to have the solution. Uh, And that was definitely, uh, I think, a part of the way he processed the passing of, what was it? It was his father. Yes. Right. His his father passed and his, no, his brother, I'm sorry. His brother passed and he left land to his uh, nephew. And they were kind of having a back and forth and it, came out where his nephew said something to him along the lines of well that's why his that's why he didn't leave the land to you right to say that you weren't really you didn't really want it you weren't really committed there was this battle to push back against this portrayal of him kind of as a loser right, right. well that, that's what i mean i, I right. agree with you on that i but definitely the fear, agree though, the fear part was was that as as a man as a provider that he was not going to be able to be successful, but he could not not do something, right? So he, he did the only thing he could do. He didn't know anything about setting up a windmill or, or using science. You know, all he knew was get out and plow, get the, get the, the land ready for when the rain comes. Right, and, no, and that's, that's an interesting take because it also, it also I'd say, by, uh, helped set up the, the conflict, other conflicts because – these people are so low on resources right. that you have to cannibalize what you've got. Mm. So if this father's like, I only know how to plow or I only can get around on my bike, the son needed to use these materials to build his idea. Uh, and once you do that, if, if you were to commit to that, then there's no turning back and there's no safety net. And that's sort of how I was thinking of it too with the, there's no safety net once you go with his, once you go with the son's idea of building this windmill right. because he had to, he had to destroy the family bicycle, and that was their only means of uh, of transportation, you know, to, or to try to get food or to do all these things. And at the point of the story where we're where we're, you know, 
contemplating the idea, we are at true desperation. They aren't eating. They're maybe ha- maybe having one meal a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're rationing water, rationing food. So if you lose these vital pieces of equipment, you may not last the week. Right. So that's what. Uh, so it is just really sells that idea of just the conflict. The stakes are so high. Mm-hmm. And then the father finally relents and, and lets go. It says, okay, if you believe it, we'll do it. But uh, they did a really good job, I think, of building those stakes. And it's a true story. So mm-hmm. you, you, know, you know it's going to end well. Yeah. But with that being said, I... I really enjoyed how they layered stakes on stakes. Was the family going to stay? Are we going to be able to eat again? Can we survive looters? Every time they seemed to get the handle on what was happening, they they were they were hit with one other obstacle uh, that's set them back. You know, two more steps. So they got three steps forward, two steps back. You know, you know one of the other things I think that came out of this, and I think Chiwetel was really. Um, he was really subtle, although it was it was it was clearly apparent, I, I think. But it was subtle the the critique that he was giving of not just the Malawian government government, but I think governments in general throughout um, Africa where we have circumstances like this, where you have, I mean, the water is right there, the water is is literally in the ground, and it's just a matter of being able to equip people with the um, with the material uh, material resources as well as the uh, the information for them to be able to go ahead and uh, you know address address these types of situations now as government goes as governments as government goes I think the critique here was it was directly it was directly stating that corruption is a major problem because you think about the chief, of the, you know their village, he got up at a rally where you know you have all of these pro um, government yes. folks or whatever, and you got the new guy, you know he's the new leader. Um, I guess he's running for office. I think that's what it was, or or maybe he was already. In well, office. he's. A, I mean, he's he was a chief, and then I think the guy on the stage. Oh, the guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess he was running for the larger yeah. office. Yeah. So he's running to represent everybody. I guess he's running basically he's running for president. And he and his whole entourage, they all pull up in this Land Rover, it's a Mercedes. Uh, that's where the money is at. But contrast that against William's family, his father riding around on a bike and being one of the fortunate ones because you see everybody did right. there, was, there was nobody with a car right you see everybody was walking matter of fact i think he's the only person i saw no it's two people there were the there teacher. was another person yeah. two there were three and then his friend yeah so, I mean, so when friend. you when you think about how we take for granted i mean as, as many critiques as we have about uh, our system uh our systems and policies that are going on but it's never a worry that most folks have about us not having the basic, uh, the basic services of government. Everything in this movie you saw, it was just so fragile. Yeah. And I think he illustrated that very well because in that scene you're talking about people, when the chief is speaking, it's being critical of the candidate. 
Right. You know there's going to be problems. Mm -hmm. Because you juxtapose in the chief and the people who he represents, they are farmers and they are farmers on arid land. So it's the whole village. They are, uh, th this is like a show, but he's taking this seriously. And when the chief bucks the system and tells them yeah. the truth, you know he's in for trouble. And he doesn't even come right out and name him. He says, I want to vote for him. He says, but I will not vote for anybody basically who is not going to see to the needs and concerns of the people. Right. He brought the idea of the hypocrisy of the of the uh, elite, let's say. Yeah. And then they weren't going to take it. And so and immediately after his speech, after he gets off stage, they escort him to the side and beat him um, basically to death. Yeah. Yeah. And so. So again, just again, illustrating more how these these villagers are on their own. And when you see, okay, we, we've got to pay this exorbitant amount for, for school, right? but we're not making any money. Mm -hmm. uh, so yes, it's just totally fragile world. And I also, but I did love just kind of jumping around here, mm -hmm. how William, the student, he, again, he, he always found a way to read, to get the information. Even to the fact that when he was no longer able to pay to go to school, he snuck, as you said, he snuck into school. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the teachers recognized that and helped him as much as, well, some teachers as much as they could. But you saw he he just needed access to those books right. because he was going to educate himself. And like going back to uh, what does it mean to be educated or, or what is that idea? And it's not necessarily, it is not necessarily saying that having, like, as we look at it now, like the degree makes you, but it's more about the pursuit of knowledge of something that you're passionate about. So, it, so I'd say here, it doesn't have to be a white collar job. It can be, you, you know, if you're an apprentice, mm -hmm. um, you know, doing labor or something like that, but there's still this drive that you need to have. I would add on to that and say that it goes beyond just, um, the diversity of, of interest, but it, it goes back to how that education is applied. And in that society, right, in that society that's facing a drought where people are running away if they can, uh, and some who might without the uh, intervention of that windmill being built, uh, without getting water to the fields, who may have actually starved to death, right? Um, and that's all a product of that education, that desire to learn and bring it back and have it be of benefit to not just themselves, but to the community at large. And I think that is a great, kind of a great way to uh, look at how we see education here, where it's very much about what we achieve for ourselves. Uh, I get a degree because it's going to get me a good job or, you know, I get I'm in this union. It's going to. I'm going to be able to buy this. I'm going to be able to do, uh, do this. Uh, but it's not about bringing it back and strengthening a community. And I think, you know, that contrast for me was more than enough to say that in a lot of ways we have lost sight, you know, as a village, as a community, we've lost mm -hmm. sight of the purpose, the true purpose uh, and intention of behind education. So um, I think Chiwetel did a really good job in, in, in framing that. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's what he was, if that's what he was, you know, pushing for or not. But 
that's one of the things I definitely walked away with. So, yeah. So um, I'm trying to think who else in there was a really uh, a real standout. Um, I mean, it was a really it was a solid cast. Um, it was definitely well acted. Um, I think I don't I don't know if this was Chiwetel's first film that he's directed or not. But if it is, I think he you know he came out the. He came out swinging. Oh, oh. we mm. didn't. Okay, you alluded to it, and I didn't say it. Oh. So you will also recognize, for those of you who watched uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air with Will Smith, you will recognize Joseph Marcel. You're going to look at the chief uh, and be like, man, he looks a lot like Jeffrey. And that's because it is. It is Jeffrey. It is British actor Joseph Marcel, um, who I was like, wow, this guy, he looks like Jeffrey. And I had to look him up. Yeah, that's him. It looks good, too. <laughs> yeah, because I was wondering what happened to him. I was thinking the same thing. It's like, oh, that guy looks so familiar. Yeah. And with these type of, I mean, with these sort of Netflix movies, you're always trying to figure out which stars they plucked out to get into them because sometimes they're obscure. Yeah. And so obviously with uh, Chiwetel's a director, I just want to see, like, who did he get to support him? And with this sort of, you know, you've got, you've got this group of... I'd say of of not necess- of of hidden gems that were in there. Yeah. There were some, <laughs> but it was nice to see a familiar face. Yeah, and you know who else looks real familiar? And that is uh, what is his name? Uh, Limo Gang uh, Tsipa, who played Mike. I think that was the teacher. I think I've seen him mm-hmm. before. Just to, just throwing it out there, but overall, I would. Uh, I would highly recommend it. I think it's one of those movies that, especially if you have young school-age children, I think it's one that you would want to sit down with them and watch and see what they pick up on. Um, just because it, the themes around education, uh, to me, were so so strong that it's something that uh, that students, children, would benefit from greatly. Yeah, and I just want to echo that because it is, it's like truly the value of education yeah. versus the prestige of education like the value he was able to take these skills and save his village and then use that to move on but still actually and still leave a legacy behind yeah and that's how i'd like that's how they sort of ended the piece is what what i really like the son was so uh he was so loyal he had an opportunity to go to school and he was still saying no i will stay here and just keep building windmills and the the father had pressed for him to leave to say, you know, go ahead and go. Mm-hmm. That windmill, whenever we see it, we know you're here. Yeah. So use this opportunity to learn more. There, there is another uh, observation that's made. It does not get as much attention. Um, it really could have been its own movie, but <clears throat> but that is the story of his sister. Uh, speaking about the access to education for women uh, in in Africa in uh, and you know I don't want to generalize, but I'll just I'll say the access to education for women uh, at, in that particular society. Uh, but it is a worldwide issue. Uh, uh, if you look at uh, Malala and, and the lack of right? that is yes, I mean, that's exactly so the lack of access to education because her sister wanted to go to university. She wanted to go to school. She was not able to do so. And at the end of the movie, they showed the real the real people. And that was one of the things that they put under under her in subtitles that she was she's married, but was never able to go 
to school. And you think about the impact of that on a society when only half of its um, of its people are able to go to ed- are able to actually get an education uh, or eligible to get right. an education, right. right? And of that half, we know who knows how many actually make it. So that's I think that's a huge uh, a huge point that he made in this as well. Mm-hmm. One of those hidden I think one of those hidden uh, understated points. So. We thank you all for joining us uh, for this edition of Movie Talk on Radio Islam. Join us next time when we tackle another film or television show. As a matter of fact, we were talking about uh, uh, shows that got the the axe way too quickly. Too soon. Too soon. So that's going to be that's going to be a good one. So look for that soon. Uh, as always, uh, I am your host and producer Tariq Elamine. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And we remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of sound vision. And with that, we are going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.